Praise the Lord. Let's open our Bibles to Genesis chapter 11. Today I'm talking to you about not settling. Have any of you felt like you've settled for less when you could have had the best? Now let me make this really clear today before we even get. I'm not talking about, you know, well, I'm married to this person. I settled for that. So I'm going to believe God for the best. I'm going to divorce that one and go. Let's just make that clear. It's not what we're talking about because I'm going to show you how you can take that marriage as an example. Maybe your marriage isn't that good. I'm going to show you how you can make it better. Amen. Maybe your health isn't that good. I'm going to show you how you can make it better. Maybe your finances are not that good. I'm going to show you how you can make it better. So that's, you know, it's settling when we say, well, que sera, sera, what will be, will be. I guess this is how it's going to always be. People who have those kind of uh, uh, thoughts usually end up just staying right there. So Genesis 11 is talking about Terah. Now, how many know who Terah was? Terah, T-E-R-A-H, was Abram's father. And God called Terah, I'm just going to give you, instead of reading the whole chapter there, they, God called them out of the land of Ur, and he called them to go enter Canaan. Now, that's what God told Terah to do. That's what they were supposed to do. But let's read verse 31. It says, Terah took Abram his son and Lot the son of Haran, that was another son of his, his grandson, and Sarai his daughter-in-law, his son Abram's wife, and they went out together from Ur to, of the Chaldeans in, in order to enter the land of Canaan. And they went as far as Haran, and what's it say? Settled they settled there. So we who don't know ancient cities would think, okay, Haran must be in Canaan. No, it wasn't. No, Haran was, was an Assyrian city, and it was not in Canaan. And so they went to go to the land of Canaan, but they got to Haran, and Haran looked pretty good. Haran was a, a popular city. They got there, and they settled. Many times we, we're so enthusiastic about God and what God's going to do and what God, you know, you know, you have those seasons in your life, it's like I can do anything, I can go anywhere for God, I am going to do all these things for God. And then things come up, it's usually life's things yeah. come up and we say, well, you, you know, we start telling ourselves, well, I'm doing pretty good. I'm still going to church. Sunday and Wednesday night, I'm there. I'm pretty good. I'm even helping. Yeah, I'm good. And what happens is we just start settling. And then we, you know, something comes up and we miss some services. And then we think, okay, I'm, I'm settling. Now, there, you might have reasons for why you, you know, do certain things and we all do. Like I said, we have seasons. But the thing is not to be satisfied with less than what you already had because that's going backwards. Not, that, not only going backwards, but you want to go forward. 
in the things of God. Amen? So, Terah has not only settled, but he has his family there, and they're going to settle too. When I decide to settle, I'm going to affect somebody else. When I decide, you know what, this is, this is, you know, I'm a good Christian, I'm a good person, and I have a standard that I've set that is just like, don't rock the boat, everything's cool, I'm, I'm, I'm good. When I do that, somebody else that's not where I am are going to say, I want to be like her. And when they... They, in, they try to be like her or him, what happens? They get to where you are, and they think this is it. They don't have any desire to go further unless they get a hold of the Word of God. And then they'll pass you up. I remember when we first started pastoring in Lloydminster, and, you know, there was a group of people that were already meeting, and we came to be the intern pastor. And God told us, I'm going to grow this church. It's going to be bigger than what you see. And he said, but the older ones will become jealous. And we didn't know what that meant. But what we saw happen, we just, I mean, he didn't explain. I mean, no, God can say something. He doesn't have to tell you the paragraph, you know. But what happened is we started getting some other people in that weren't in their original group. And they started getting places of leadership. And some people left the church because they didn't like the younger ones. And they weren't young as far as, you know, uh, age necessarily. But they, they were new to the group. And so within a year or two years, they started getting positions of leadership. They started being doing things, which was only the Lord's working. You see? Because they had to surpass, because if they had settled, then the ones that were originally there would have still been doing everything. That's not, God wants us all to grow, amen? All to increase. Together, Jeremiah 30, uh, Jeremiah, it's not 31, but Jeremiah and Jeremiah talks about they all will go up together, the young and the old. So God wants us to go together. The new believers, the ones that have been believing for a little while or, you know, half, you know, middle-aged believers, older believers, were to go up together in the things of the Lord. So anyway, what happens in chapter 12, verse 1, by the way, 32, verse 32 says, Terah died in Haran. He died never getting to where God wanted him. I don't want that to be my testimony, do you? I don't, want, I don't want it to be said of me. Now, Jonathan told you the things that were on uh, Pastor David's grave. He told you a little bit about that on Wednesday night and the meanings it had. If, you ever, if you're ever in Texarkana, I'll give you directions. You can go see this beautiful monument for him. But <clears throat> here's the thing. I don't want it on mine that says... She got to a certain place in the Lord, and she died there. You know, the Bible talks about they died in faith. I want to die in faith. Amen, don't you? I I want it said that she was still believing God. She was still going for God. 
She was still increasing in the things of God. She was still doing things for God. And that's why we don't retire. We just refire. Amen? Might change job positions, but we still go on. I, I don't like it when someone asks me, are you retired? First of all, I think I must look like that. I am. Second of all, don't ever limit me. Amen? So it says in chapter 12, Now the Lord said to Abram, Go forth from the, your country and from your relatives and from your father's house to the land which I will show you, and I will make you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great, and so you shall be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and the one who curses you I will curse, and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Now, Abram's dad had been told to go to the land of Canaan. So the others, like one son died before his father, but the others stayed. And we know from, from other Bible stories that remember when Jacob went back to get a wife, you know where he went? He went to Haran, to Laban's place to get his wife. So he went back to Abram's relatives that settled in Haran, right? But, but Abram was of, of another spirit. And so God spoke to him and said, get out of this country. Abram could have said, well, this is where my family is. I, you know what? I, we don't have children, so we enjoy our nieces and our nephews. And you know what? If they had done that, they probably never would have had children. Now, he's 75 years old. Tell me a 75-year-old person that wants to go to pack up and move to another country and leave everything. Tell me one. Well, there are some, but they're rare. That's not the age you think about, let's, let's go for an adventure. <laughs> 75 years old, okay, bye, Dad. <laughs> bye, brothers. Bye, family. Bye, nieces and nephews. We're going. Now, we know that his, his nephew Lot came with him, which wasn't supposed to happen, and that really messed up things later on, didn't it? But here's the thing. Abram had to leave what was comfortable and familiar. You know, anytime God asks you to do something, if you can do it already, you don't need faith. If it's just, you know, natural. In fact, some people think, well, this guy would make a good pastor because he's a real good business person. Can I tell you something? It has nothing to do with either one. A good businessman might make a good pastor, but a pastor might make a good businessman. But you got to stay where God called you. And so just because, you know, Pastor Jonathan has told you about that he never imagined himself speaking to people. I can testify that, he, did, he you know, we'd have recitals, we'd have royal conservatory music things. I would have to practically kick him to get him, you know, to be judged by the judges. and The boy knew music. He knows music. He, he taught piano. He taught guitar. He taught uh, theory. He knows music. But to do it in front of people was not what he wanted to do. Now, he was real comfortable with a guitar in the background. He could do, you know, cool. They're not looking at me. I got a guitar that's between me and them. 
But God had a call to do something greater. So he could have settled and said, I'm just not going to do that. And you know what? Today he would be probably on the praise and worship team, probably playing a guitar and be a good guitar player. But God had greater. God has greater for you. And it doesn't mean you, you, he still plays the guitar, right? But he has greater things too. So it doesn't mean that you have to drop the things you're doing to do something else, but you've got to be willing to go. Amen? You've got to be, and I don't mean go to another place. I mean another place in the spirit. Amen? That's the go I mean. I mean go, you know, where men have never been, you know. Go to the outer limits. Go farther than you've ever been before. Philippians 3.13, real familiar scripture. Paul writes to the church in Philippi, Brethren, I do not regard myself as having laid hold of it yet, but one thing I do. Now, this is Paul talking. He, wa- he wrote two-thirds of the New Testament. He says one thing. He didn't say, I have got so many things on my plate. I'm doing just everything. Well, he was doing a lot. But one thing he did, in other words, he, he valued this. This is, this is how I can do all those other things. One thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and reaching forward to what lies ahead. Now, Paul had to remember when he was called Saul. I mean, he didn't have to remember, but this is, these are the things that he had to forget. How he was uh, persecuting the people, how he was, he was a mean guy. He was known, and he was, he was very uh, scholarly as far as the, the law of the, the prophets. He was very scholarly, but that's not the only thing you have to forget. You can't live on yesterday's miracles or yesterday's testimony. You know, these people, there's churches that say, well, I remember back in 19... And, and we even, we refer to like, I remember in 1998, God did this. And I remember in 1988, God, 1985, 19... It's okay to remember, but you can't live there. That's why... It's good to have change, to keep the message the same, but the method has to change to reach the next generation, to reach how, how the generations are coming so that we can't just do it. You know, I, when we came to Lloyd Minster, everybody had hymnals. We, never, we have never to this day purchased one, uh, well, we purchased one, I can't say we haven't purchased one. We've purchased one so we could see some, get some hymns, you know, this before we had internet. So we, we have purchased a hymnal. But we never bought hymnals for the church. And we had overhead projectors from the beginning of our church, and the town was a buzz. Well, I remember when I went into a church like this, and I was an organist for a mainline denominational church. I remember that, you know, they said, You're, you can play the piano. And I actually, I lied and said, no, I don't play. 
<laughs> because they didn't have any hymnals. They just had, I'm not even sure they had, had chord charts, Tony. I'm not sure. They just sang these choruses, and it's like, God will let you, God will teach you. I thought, these people are not Christians. They don't have hymnals. So I quite understood when we came to town and we started doing overhead projectors, you know, and people, new people would come in and they'd say, where's your hymnal? Uh, we don't use hymnals. <laughs> but you know, the time came when we had to put away the overhead projector. We still have to use it in some meetings and and in the Philippines, we still use overhead projectors, and some, and, or they do. I, we don't have to do it. But that's okay if that's where you are. It's okay. You don't, you don't, and it, there might be a church in town that's using overhead projectors. That doesn't make them less than us. There's churches in town that use hymnals. That doesn't make us better. I'm telling you, that has nothing to do, I'm not criticizing that. I'm just saying that there's time when you have to go to the next level and it makes some people uncomfortable. The first Wednesday night I came in here and the lights were dim, I walked right back to, to, to Chris and said, is there something wrong with the lights? <laughs> kind of dark in here. He said... No, that's what Pastor De uh, Jonathan uh, wants to do. And I went, but it's dark. <laughs> but okay, that's what Pastor Jonathan. So I went and sat down and went, how are you going to read your Bible? How are you going to do this? I had all kinds of questions. I didn't have anybody to talk to but myself. <laughs> what a crazy idea is this? We're children of the light. How come we're in the dark? <laughs> I don't understand. It took me a week to get understanding because I went to the pastor and said, why are you doing that? I had that privilege. <laughs> and he gave me really good reasons. I went, oh, you think it's going to work? He said, yes. Well, now, today, I was thinking, why is it so bright in here? <laughs> See, some, especially as you get older, you know, change takes a little bit longer. The children never walked in when it's dark. In, uh, Moses came in he didn't, that night. He didn't go, it's dark in here. No, they, they're young, they're change easy, but the older you get, you got to get where you can change. But you know what? Miss Marg came back from her holidays, and we had these, these colored lights then. And she made Jonathan one of the happiest pastors. Because after service, he went, Miss Marg likes the colored lights. <laughs> In other words, don't say anything, Mom. Miss Marg likes them. I like them too, John. But here's the thing. It's, we have all ages, so we have to, we have, to have things for, for all people, but at the same time, always progressing. Always progressing. And like I said, this is not criticism of any other church. 
any other group. This is not because you, they're responsible for God. And if it's working for them, glory to God, let it go. Amen. I'm not, please don't under, misunderstand. We're not criticizing. I'm just saying, obviously, God's telling them something. Just like he's telling us. So it's not, it's not that big a deal. Anyway, let's say. Forgetting what lies behind and reaching forward to what lies ahead. My point was, what lies behind can be good or bad. You can't live in the past. Period. Amen? What God is saying, there's something is always going to be behind you. But there's something that's always going to be ahead of you. So you're not supposed to go back, you're supposed to go forward. We must let go of the past so that we can go forward. You know that? You, when I first, my first trip out of the country after David went to heaven, I was used to David being my manservant <laughs> as far as carrying all the luggage. And so I had two big bags, I had a carry-on, a purse this big, and Four bags, first trip out, and I, I'm getting on. I'm getting off a shuttle to to go into the airport, and I, I mean, I am just. I'm, they put all these bags, and there's no one of those carts around anywhere, and so I'm trying. How am I going to get all these upstairs? You know, I got four bit, and I'm doing this. And this, yeah, this man about my age comes up and says. Could I help you with this? I said, yes, thank you. So he starts helping me. But even with both of us, it was still a lot. And he says, ma'am, are you traveling by yourself? Yes. <laughs> he said, he said, can I make a suggestion? I said, what's that? Don't pack so much. <laughs> My idea was, God, I always provide a man. Like, they're always around. They're everywhere. God will provide. But I have since learned that it's just smarter not to pack. I still, I'm, every time I go on a trip, I'm packing less and less. But, but I am still not where I can go on a trip with a carry-on. <laughs> except maybe for two days of camp. Yeah, I did that this year. Yay me. <laughs> but I was used to a certain way, and David never complained. He never said, Brownie, you pack too much. It wouldn't have done him any good, but he never said it anyway. And so I wanted to keep doing what I'd always done. You need to wear one outfit in the morning and one at night. You need to have a sh shoes for every outfit. You know how you think. Eric laughs. He doesn't have a clue. <laughs> now, I'm, I'm getting to, ready to go on a, another trip, and I'm going to three different locations. One dress, which actually is not a dress. It's a skirt with a top that I can wear with pants, whether I can wear... Elizabeth got startled. One outfit for that, that's what I'll preach in. Because a lot of churches, 
you know, you can wear pants or you can just switch up tops. So, enough of that. Anyway, <laughs> y'all don't care. I don't blame you. But you gotta, you've got to change as things in your life change. You have to change. You can't keep holding on going, I don't, I don't want to have to just take a little bit of luggage. I want a manservant. But God has better. Amen? So if we're not going to settle, we're going to have to know the word. How are you going to get from settling to get to more? You're going to have to have the word of God. For instance, are you happy or settled where your finances are? Anybody here got, I got more than enough. I don't need anything. I'm at my comfort level. One lady said, I've got enough for us four and no more. Why do I need more? (laughs) One lady said, another lady said, I have a car. I have a house. Why do I need to believe God for anything? Maybe to buy someone else a car. Maybe to pay for someone else's mortgage. Mm-hmm. You know, it's not about, okay, my needs are met, so I don't care. Philippians 4.19 says, and my God, you have to make it personal. My God shall supply all my needs according, according, according to what? Not according to the economy, not according to what is the average salary of Lloyd Minster, but according to his riches in glory by Christ Jesus. His riches in glory. This is a man, which is a God actually. This is God whose streets are made of gold. You know, we wanted this street out here. It used to be a dirt road for the longest time. And we wanted it paved. But the neighbors would do petitions to say, we don't want it paved because, you know, you'd have to, pay, you have to pay money to get it. If your land is out here, you'd have to pay money. <laughs> they couldn't see past the money. We could see if we get a road, there'll be more growth in the neighborhood. There'll be, you know, God will bring things in. We need a road. A paved road. But they saw the obstacle of money. You know what? The obstacle of money will keep you from doing a lot of things for God. God will tell you to do something and you'll say, but God. Do you know that God's probably not going to tell you to do something that you already have the money to do? He's probably going to tell you to do something that you're going to have to use your faith to believe for. As far as, for instance, for this conference, you know, we don't just say, we don't just put it on you like you need to, you know, you need to give. No, no, we start believing as we are praying. God, we believe for extra finances to come into their hands. Unexpected money to come. Amen? You've got to do that anytime that your heart wants to do something. Yes, give what you can, but God always wants us to give above. Remember? In Corinthians, it talks about that, giving above their means, beyond their means. That's, that's where you get into the faith level. That's where you get into the harvest level. It's giving beyond what you're able to give. How can you give what you don't have? You believe God to have it. Amen? I remember uh, years ago, this famous uh, uh, preacher and his wife uh, I was with her in a ladies' meeting, 
And she gave this testimony how people were always just giving, giving, they would give money to them, but it was to them. And she asked the Lord, she said, your word says that you supply or you minister seed to the sower. She said, I'm a sower, but everybody just gives the money to him. And they say, this is for you too. But I open my purse and I only have money that he gives me. I want my own seed. And you know what? What happened? God gave her, someone came up to her and said, this is for you personally. That meant something to her that God heard her prayer, but that she had money to give. Now, we know as couples, we're one in the Lord, and, and that's not a big deal. But at some point, especially women, you know, most, most men are not, you know, they don't get their money from their wife, but maybe some do. So if, whatever, the one that is not in control of the money needs to know I have money. So that if God tells me to give to sister so-and-so $50, I don't have to go ask somebody. I can give. You know, I'm not saying we do, we do separate things as, as couples. I believe that as couples there's power when you do it together. I believe that. But even as, as our children and our youth, they need to believe God for money to give. You know? They need to say, I want to give. I, we've had some of the greatest testimonies of little kids that say, I want to give to that preacher. And they'll start praying and believing God that they'll have some money. Someone will just put some money in their hands as they're leaving the church. It's just wonderful how God fulfills his word. But he supplies all our needs. Amen. Romans 8, 37 says, But in all things we over, overwhelmingly conquer through him who loved us. In all things we overwhelmingly conquer. The Amplified says we gain a surpassing victory. So if you're not conquering, if you're not having a surpassing victory in any area of your life, then you have to take hold of this scripture, right? You have to start holding on to this. Look, this is not right. I'm supposed to conquer. I'm supposed to win. Amen. This is a success verse. 1 Peter 2.24. Listen, you know how, you, how people decorate the wedding cars. It's driving away. You know, they, I, you know, in the south, they use shoe polish and ride all over the car. Ours had one little thing that said just married on the back thing. The rest of it, like one side said, look what God can do. One side, 1 Peter 2.24 was on it. There was all these scriptures on our car. My brother took our car. He had to take us to the airport for our honeymoon. And he wasn't a believer at this time. And he's driving our car and he said, I was really embarrassed. <laughs> it's like driving a Bible. 1 Peter 2.24, you ought to know it. You ought to know it. And he himself bore our sins on the cross, on his, in his body on the cross, so that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. For by his stripes or by his wounds, we were healed. Now, 
Peter is quoting from Isaiah 53 that says, and by his stripes you, you are, no, you, and by his stripes you will be healed. This is, it's already done. He's already been to the cross. No, you are healed. It says you are healed. And then this says we were healed. This is past tense. So that means that according to the word of God, my healing is already taken care of. But Pastor Brownie, I'm sick. I understand that. I have to, I have to fight these things. I have issues. But the bottom line is Jesus has already paid for my healing. My body has to get in line with the word of God. So that's why I have to use my faith to keep alive. I have to use my faith to live long and live strong. I have to use my faith. The word says that, that you will be satisfied with long life. So I have to use my faith that I will be satisfied with long life even though I might get a bad report. Amen? Just because you get a bad report, that doesn't mean you just throw up your hands and say, well, I guess that's what it is. Even people in the natural fight for their health. People that don't know the word fight to live. It's built in us. God built it in us to fight to live. That's why if you're in a drowning situation, you will fight to get out of that water. Sometimes that's what causes you to drown. It's because you're fighting so much that you've lost control. But we're built to fight to live. These little bitty babies just had a prayer request for little baby, one pound and I think four ounces. I mean, it's little tiny, but still alive. Listen, even that little baby is fighting to live. That little baby is not in that that incubator saying 1 Peter 2.24. But hopefully, and I know this is true, for this baby, they're speaking life to that baby. They're speaking life to that baby. Amen? Amen. Because God wants us to be well. God doesn't put sickness on us. No more than you would put sickness on your child. He doesn't. But we live in a messed up world. Sometimes you can't even blame the devil for it because of the things that are in our food, the things that we do with our bodies, the atmosphere we live in, and all these things are coming against us. But the word of God is bigger and stronger and better than any of those things. Amen? Hallelujah. So let's go to Deuteronomy 8. I want you to see that God made a promise to Abram, who is now Abraham. He made a covenant with him. Deuteronomy 8, verse 6. Therefore you shall keep the commandments of the Lord your God to walk in his ways and to fear him. For the Lord your God is bringing you. Here's the thing. This is what he was talking about back there in Genesis. He's bringing you into a good land, a land of brooks, of water, of fountains and springs, flowing forth in valleys and hills, a land of wheat and barley, of vines and fig trees and pomegranates, a land of olive oil and honey, a land where you will eat food without scarcity, in which you will not lack anything, a land whose stones are iron and out of whose hills you can dig copper." 
When you have eaten and are satisfied, you shall bless the Lord your God for the good land which he has given you. He could have ended there. I mean, that sounds pretty good, right? He's making covenant with Abraham about regarding about his people going into the promised land. But he says, beware, verse 11, that you do not forget the Lord your God by not keeping his commandments and his ordinances and his statutes which I'm commanding you today. Otherwise, when you've eaten and are satisfied and have built good houses and lived in them, and when your herds and your flocks multiply and your silver and gold multiply and all that you have multiplies, he's saying this is what's going to happen. That's pretty good, isn't it? Everything you have is going to multiply. Then your heart, he said, be aware. Then your heart will become, be aware that your heart becomes proud and you will forget the Lord your God who brought you out from the land of Egypt out of the house of slavery, out of bondage. So we know the story, what happened. The people of Israel, because they were disobedient, because they were rebellious, they went into slavery in Egypt. And they were slaves in Egypt for 430 years. But God, I don't even know that they were crying out to be free. Because I don't think they remembered what freedom was like. I think they had settled for being slaves. But God raised up a man named Moses. And he said, you go tell Pharaoh, let my people go. Even Moses, he was pretty happy where he was. He, he'd already messed up in Egypt, but he's over in another place, and he's happy, you know, and to him, why go back to Egypt? That, I'm going to get killed. It's not a good place. Besides, I stutter. I don't want to do this. And God said, you go tell him. So we know the story. God fulfilled his word. There were plagues. There were things that kept, because Pharaoh would say he was going to let him go, then he'd change his mind. And Pharaoh's heart was hardened. But finally, they are, they are let go as slaves after all the firstborn of the land died except those who had the, the blood. Hallelujah for the blood. Had the blood so that the death angel passed over. That's what we celebrate in Passover. And so what happened is that they went and they left Egypt. The Bible says they left with silver and gold. We talked about that many times. They went to the Red Sea. What happened? There's a big sea. They got to get across to go in. What happens? God splits the sea. They walk on dry land across the whole sea. I don't care how many scientists try to explain it away. You can't explain some things that God does. In fact, a lot of things. He didn't do it to get it explained away. So they went through... This is the thing. Someone says, well, it was only ankle deep. Well, then explain this, that Pharaoh and his chariots and all his horsemen were coming behind, and the Bible said they drowned. What kind of army will drown in ankle deep water? <laughs> no, no. So we, we believe, I'm not talking to people who don't believe the Bible, right? The sea parted, they went over. Now, God is telling them to go to the promised land. Do you know the promised land was approximately 11 days' journey from Egypt? 11 days. Anybody know how long it took them? 40 years. Why did it take them 40 years? Because they were murmuring. They were kept saying, I wish we 
had never left Egypt? Did we come this far to die and dig graves? There's no, not even graves here. You know, at least we could have had a grave in Egypt. Who talks like that? People, here's the thing. They had, they had been slaves. When you're a slave, whether, and we've all been slaves to something. When you're a slave, let's take addiction, for instance. When you're a slave to addiction, uh, that thing orders your life, right? You wake up wanting it, you do everything during the day to get it, and you go to bed wanting it. Your life is controlled by that, right? So you are a slave to that addiction, whatever it is. It could be, it could be food, it could be lust, it could be drugs, it could be alcohol, it could be, there's a lot of addictions. And so that addiction controls your mind, it controls your thought patterns, it controls everything that you, you order your life around that addiction. Well, they were slaves, and so they had no self-discipline, just like when you're addicted, you don't have a lot of self-discipline. And they were rebellious, and so when they got into the wilderness, they didn't know how to obey a leader. They knew how to obey someone that beat them. But Moses wasn't beating them. In fact, God wanted to kill them all. And Moses stood in the gap and said, no, don't. Moses prayed for him that he wouldn't do it. So, they, listen, this isn't a small group, by the way. It's an estimated. Most estimates are there's 2 million people that went. Can you imagine having to be head of 2 million people? that are cranky and murmuring and griping and critical all the time. Let's have a hip hip hooray for Moses. <laughs> the, the least estimate is 1.5 million. And the highest that I've seen is 2 million. Anyway, it's a lot of people. That's a lot of people. Here's these people. It's 11 days journey to get to where they're supposed to go. But what happens? They wander. God feeds them. God gives them meat. He gives them bread. He gives them meat. He gives them water. Supernatural. These are supernatural things. Manna from heaven. Bread from heaven comes down. Quail comes when they say they want meat. Here's a bunch of quail. You can eat all the quail you can eat. Hit a rock. Water comes out. Supernatural things. But it's still that, you know, being in the wilderness, they were still blessed because they were God's people. But God had something better. He didn't want them to live on manna the rest of their life. So what happens? 470 years they had been, been in bondage, really. They, they were there for 430. They stayed in the wilderness 40 years. Finally, they're getting ready to go into the promised land. What happens right before they go? Moses dies. So what do they do? They stay there to weep for 30 days. Do you not get the... I, I didn't see y'all laugh. I laughed at that. It went, really? You've been 40 years. You've been trying to get out of here. Now you, the way is ready. Your guy dies and you say, okay, we got to wait 30 days. That's called culture and that's called things that you do to make everybody think you're a good, you're a good family member. You will weep for 30 days and they'll think you loved him. Although we know you were always griping about him. 
But okay, you cried for 30 days. Okay, that wipes away all your telling him off all the time. Okay, you're a good person. You cried for 30 days. And then they go. Praise the Lord. But all those that started out, all of them except Joshua and Caleb, did not go to the promised land. That's pretty sad. So they came out of a land of not enough. That was Egypt, right? They went into the wilderness, a land of just enough. But God wanted them to get to the promised land, the land of more than enough. Are we living in which land? You got to examine yourself. Am I living in the land of not enough? Or am I living in the land of just enough? Or I, am I determined that I'm going to live in the land of more than enough? Because your destiny determines that. I mean, it's determined by your choice, right? Hallelujah. Here's the thing. They had been under bondage for 430 years. So they, they had Egypt. They were in Egypt 430 years. They came out, but you know what? <laughs> Egypt was still in them. They weren't in Egypt, but Egypt was still in them. Their thought patterns, their, their plans, they still thought like people under bondage. They did not think like people of God. And here in our world today, we, we have to watch it that we don't think like the world, but we don't even think like a nominal Christian. Because we will settle and say, you know what, I'm happy, I'm good. You know, I just have headaches. You know, I, I'm not sick, I don't have cancer. I, you know, I really don't have to have the, you know, study healing scriptures because I just get a headache every once in a while. You better have the word of God in your heart. Amen? Because you cannot build your house, and I've seen so many people do it. They get a terminal disease uh, decision or test. says, okay, you, you have stage whatever. And, and that's when they decide, okay, I better learn some scriptures. You need to have them in your heart. So that when, when that symptom comes, you have an answer. You can fight the good fight of faith. So are we those people? You know what the problem is? You have to, you have to get a good attitude, a, a new attitude. You have to change your attitude because your attitude determines if you're going to go further or if you're going to stay where you are. So it's important to be around with people with good attitudes, isn't it? Let's look at Ephesians 4 and the Amplified. We're almost through. It says, strip yourself of your former nature, put off and discard your old unrenewed self, which characterized your previous manner of life and becomes corrupt through lust and desires that spring from delusion and be constantly renewed in the spirit of your mind, having a fresh mental and spiritual attitude. That's really important. And put on the new nature, the regenerate self, created in God's image, God-like in true righteousness and holiness. God would not have told us to do this if this was not possible. God doesn't put things in the Bible and says, this is good for everybody but you, Brownie. Sorry. No, this is possible. I have to, I have to put off the old way of thinking. You know, <laughs> they say that, you know, when you, 
when you do the same thing the same way and you expect a different result, it's just crazy. If you don't like where you are, you must change what you're doing. And that's in any area. It's in business. It's in your family life. It's in your relationship with Jesus. It's in everything. If I don't like where I am, I can't expect someone else to come fix it. And that's our problem with today's society is we want to blame somebody else. This is your fault, just like they did the people of Israel. They blame Moses. It's your fault. When Moses gave his life to bring them out of bondage into promise. But they didn't see it. They wanted to blame him. We have to, and this is, this is celebrated on television and movies. It's our culture that, you know, I'm a victim. You might be 50 years old and I'm this way because I was abused as a child. You know what? I understand that, and God can free you from that. But if you keep going back to that as every excuse, this is, my, this is why I can't do this. This is why I can't do this. Then you're saying the blood of Jesus is not good enough. You're saying that when you were born again, you were not made a new creation. Listen, I minister to people that had a lot worse times than most of y'all have had, and surely more than I have. But I've seen Jesus come in and truly make them new because they just believed what I told them. And then they got a Bible and they believed what the Bible said. Amen? Amen? So let's get out of this victim mentality and get into a victor mentality that I am more than a conqueror. I can do all things through Christ Jesus who strengthens me. No weapon formed against me shall prosper. And every tongue that rises against me in judgment, I will condemn. Amen? That condemn means I will show to be in the wrong. Listen, Scripture says your battle is not against flesh and blood. People are not your problem. Even though we are in a culture that thinks that we should blame somebody. Well, if they would have been better, if they, you know, this, it's, it's his fault. That sounds like Adam when he ate the apple. You know what he said? It's this woman you gave me. <laughs> did, that, did that fly with Jesus? Did that fly with the Lord? No. Did he say... You are right, Adam. I, I won't hold that against you, Adam. She's just not good. She's evil. You can't blame somebody if you refuse to do the word of God. Someone said, well, I just don't get fed there. Feed yourself. We'll feed some babies, but you're big people. Feed yourself. You are supposed to be going into the Word of God yourself. And we have no excuse these days, do we? We've got the Word on everything. Praise the Lord. I want to read you Ephesians 6, 11. Even so, consider yourselves to be dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. I have to consider that I'm dead to sin. Does that mean I don't sin? Well... Here's the thing. You might sin. I mean, I'm not saying that I'll never sin again. But my intention is not to sin. Amen? 
I'm, I'm not planning on sinning. I'm not, I'm not having a plan today that like, okay, tonight this is what I'm going to do. No, that I plan to live for Jesus. I plan to please God. Because I consider the old brownie dead, but the new brownie is alive unto God. Amen? So you have to consider your old self, and your old self could be this morning, by the way. This is not just before you were born again. You know, we, we had, we've had people that, you know, they were coming to church. We knew they were coming to church, but they didn't show up at church. And we go, what, what happened? Oh, we got in this huge fight on the way to church. So we turned around and went back home. Right, that's exactly what God would have told you, I'm sure. Do not come in that church if you've been fighting. No, that's where you need to be. That's right. Amen? You have to have an attitude change. Uh, let's see, I don't have room, time to read the Phillips. Let me read it in the message. When Jesus died, he took sin down with him. But alive, he brings God down to us. From now on, think of it this way. Sin speaks a, listen to this, sin speaks a dead language that means nothing to you. You know what it's like to hear someone speak a language you don't understand? You don't go, oh. Oh, it just hit my heart. Oh. You go, I have no clue what you just said. That's how some people are with me with still with having a southern accent. But they don't have a clue what I just said. That's a dead language to them. Sin is a dead language to us. It, it has no right to speak to us. And if it does, it should be in things we don't even understand. And don't want to understand. You know what? When I'm traveling, you hear all kinds of different nationalities. I don't go up to them and say, excuse me. I don't understand what you're saying. Could you please speak English? You know, North Americans are pretty uh, arrogant. They think everybody in the world has to speak English. Like, if they don't speak English, they must be stupid. That's really stupid. So... I have to understand, they're not speaking a language. They're not even talking to me. So I have to say, sin's not talking to me. Sin's not talking to me. I don't, have, I don't hear sin because sin doesn't talk to me. Why? Because I don't understand the language. You understand? Mm -hmm. Hallelujah. You are dead. It says, sin speaks a dead language that means nothing to you. God speaks your mother tongue. And you hang on every word. It doesn't matter how old you get. If you hear, and you're in another country and they speak another language, when you hear your mother tongue, there is an emotional connection. Is that right, Spirantina? You know, you've been in Canada 40 years or more, right? Something like that? 50 years, give or take, whatever. But you talk English to each other. You talk English to other people. But when you speak Greek, there is an emotion attached to it. It's your mother language. That's why it's important when we go to other nations that we try to at least know some words in their language because they, they don't mind, you know, having an uh, interpreter that speaks and all this, but at least know a few. And I, I'm probably the worst at... A linguist, uh, ling, 
I'm linguist. I almost said linguini. I don't understand that language. <laughs> My whole family can pick up languages really well, but I have to tell you, it's not my strong point. I really practice before I get, I mean, I practice. Kim can tell you, I practice. How do you say thank you? How do you say hello? How do you say God bless you? And then I get up there and I, hi. <laughs> I chicken out. But God speaks our mother tongue. Glory to God. I love that. You are dead to sin and alive to God. Praise the Lord. That's what Jesus did. Let me tell you a story. One preacher, he asked, and I'll ask you, how many think every dog likes a bone? Gosh, are y'all awake? Okay, three of us think dogs like bones. Maybe the rest of you don't have a clue. I really thought this would work. Let's try again. Make me feel good, okay? How many think that dogs like bones? Yeah. I'm going to wait till you get your hands up. All right, all right. I got a smart group here. Really, dogs like steak, but they settle for bones. So you're all wrong. No. <laughs> Took a while. See, they settle. They really like what's on the bone. But they settle for a bone. Are we settling for a bone when we could have the steak? Are we settling for, the le for less than what God has? Here's, here's the thing you need to do. Forget your past. Good or bad. You know, there's things that we do. The, the, the Bible talks about having remembrance and setting up memorials. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about just always living in the past. You know, my husband wanted me to always have long hair. Why don't you have hair like you did when we got married? Why are you cutting your hair? I want you to have long hair. Why don't you have hair like we got? I said, you had long hair when we got married. Why don't you have long hair? <laughs> We were competing with the long hair in those days. I didn't want to have long hair for the rest of my life. I have to forget the past. Forget the past, David. I'm 50. This is, I'm 50 years old. I get to cut my hair. Forget the past. Press toward God's promises. How do you do that? That's a religious term, by the way. You talk to people, you need to press into God. Do you know most people have no clue what that means? I probably could ask most of you. You'd go, well, we always say it, press in. Press in. What, how do you press into God? Let me tell you. That just means to search with him with all your heart. He said, if you'll search for me with all your heart, you will be found. I will be found of you. Amen. Jeremiah 29 says, call upon me, and I will answer you. There's, a, there's an action for us to get a reaction from him. So press in means to read your Bible. 
See, I even wrote in my notes, read the word, and I just realized, when you say that, how many people know what the word is? I remember talking to somebody, and I said, you need to read the word. And this guy says, what word? Oh, well, then you need to get saved. From what? See, those are terms that we use that we got to remember not everybody understands. So read your Bible. In a, in a translation that you understand. And don't be ashamed if you don't, if you need one that's, that's like for, there's many of them that are for third grade level. Start there. That's so that you get it, amen? Probably not a picture Bible for most of you, but you can start. You read the word, you believe the word, then you do the word. You're not going to do something you don't know. So you read it, you meditate on it. You think, how does this affect me? What's, what can I do? See, some people have a reading plan. They've got to read like five chapters a day. That's great. That's fine. But there's, there's something about getting your Bible and say, God, speak to me today. And you find one scripture and you'll just think about it all day, meditate on it. You know, roll it around. God, what's that say to me? Don't settle for the world's standards. I think that's a big one to hear today. The world has set standards for us. And they tell us this is the standard. And it's come way down even in the last 20 years. There was times that on television, even married couples could not be shown in the same bed. Dick Van Dyke, they, they had separate beds. Mary Tyler Moore, Dick Van Dyke. They were a married couple. They had little twin beds, separate beds. Well, today... They don't even have to be married in there. You know, it's, it's very common. There were times when no one would use a swear word in front of a pastor or a preacher. That's, that's totally done away with. There were times when it wasn't allowed on television or on, on any broadcast to use certain words. Today, you hear, there's words I hear that I never heard. I, I wasn't ever around people that said that. Even in the days when I was in the world, we didn't speak like that. And kids in like seventh grade are this, this, this I mean, blankety blank, blankety blank, blankety blank. I just want to go, shut up. Learn some new words. Learn to read. That would be good for you. But we, our standard is low. Amen? Because culture, the world standard has come down and they want us to come down and you be like us and if you don't, then you're phobic about something. No, our standard, keep your standard according to the word of God. Make the word of God your standard. Amen? If the word says don't do it, don't do it. If the word says do, do it, do, do it. Don't listen to even people that might be in this church today that says it's okay if you do that. You go ask God and you look in the Bible and say, what's the Bible say? Yeah. Amen? Amen? Even if a preacher's in the pulpit and says it's okay for you. You know what is popular now? For There's big preachers on television and they are using swear words in the pulpit and and when they've been asked about it they say because we want to be culturally 
relevant. I don't think God likes that. Because I can be culturally relevant and not speak their language. I can speak English, but not those other words. I can, you know what I'm saying? So, don't settle. Find out today where you've settled. You know where you've settled. No one needs to come and tell you you've settled. But I can tell you, if God told you something and you haven't gone to that place in him, then you have settled. Now, maybe you're not there yet, but you're headed there. You know, the promised land was not called maybe land. It was called promised land because God promised it. God's promised us all these things that pertain to life and godliness. He's promised us so that we could live, live good lives on the earth and be blessings to other people. He's promised us that our children shall be disciples taught of the Lord and obedient to his will. He's taught us that we can have good marriages. He's taught us these things. What do we do? We have to say, I'm not settling. And you know, that doesn't mean that you change other people. That means you settle it in you. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Maybe part of your house isn't serving the Lord. Well, you don't go beat them up and say, you gotta be, you got to serve the Lord. But you speak it out of your mouth. You have it in your heart. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. And then maybe, you know, maybe your kids are going the wrong way. You don't go, oh, man, I thought that worked, but that doesn't work. They're, they're just acting like the devil. No. Don't look at with your eyes. Look with your spirit. So, I'm not going to look at that because that's not what God promised. Me and my household shall be saved. I'm not going to look at that. I'm not going to dwell on that. I'm not going to think on that. I'm going to think on these things. Whatsoever is good, whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are of good report. Think on these things, the Bible says. When those negative thoughts come, you take them home. Take every thought captive into the obedience of Christ. So if that thought is not obeying Christ, you capture it and say, I won't think there. I won't go there. Your flesh will want to go. People will want you to go. The devil will want you to go for sure. But you don't have to go. You have authority. Amen? Amen. So we're not settling. We're not, as a word church, we're not going to settle. You know what? Anybody can pack a church out. If, if large numbers equate the anointing of God, then Disneyland is one of the most anointed places on earth. That's not it. But we do want the house filled. We do want it. So we, that's what we expect. That's what we, we prepare for. That's our standard that is full of people. You know what we say when we're praying over the chairs, when we're praying for you? We speak that this house is full of people hungry for God, wanting to serve God and others. Not people just to be, fill, a, fill a seat because God loves every person that ever walks in this building. And it's our job to love them like he loves them 
and to see to it that we pull the promises of God out of them so that they can be the people that God's called them to be. Amen? Will you stand to your feet, please? Hallelujah. Like I said, everybody's got something or more than one thing that you, God's going to talk to you about that you've settled. And sometimes we don't know we've settled till God reveals it to us. You know what? Someone says, well, why, you know, the grass is always greener on the other side. Why is that? Because they're watering the grass. If you'd water your grass, it'd be green on your side. Whatever you water will grow. That's right. Amen? Yes. Well, what is water? The Bible says that the Bible, the Word of God, it's the water of the Word that we grow. Yeah. Amen? Yeah. So don't keep looking at the other side. Water your own side yeah. and say, my side will be blessed. Yes. I'm going to grow. That's right. God, where have I settled? Have I settled in just, you know, just being... Now, have I just got comfortable where I am? <laughs> I want you to know God wants to shake us up. He wants to shake us up and say, I want you to be higher and greater next year than you are this year. God, in fact, we had a prophetic word that God said to us, I'm going to shake everything that can be shaken. He said, I'm going to shake Lloyd Minster. Remember that prophetic word we had? I'm going to shake Lloyd Minster. I'm going to shake you. You better, and he said, you better have a good foundation. If you have a good foundation, the storm will come, but you are built on the rock, and it can't destroy you. Oh, it, it'll knock you around a little bit. Listen, we all been knocked around, but the Bible says, when I fall, I shall arise. You can't keep a good Christian down. Because the devil might knock you down, people might knock you down, but you get up and say, that's just how I get downstairs, right? <laughs> Brother Savelle told a story of a, uh, this Afro-American guy he, he had on this white suit and he you know, this white hat. And so he fell down this escalator. This is where I got this. He fell down this escalator, and it was just white, black, white, black, white, black, white, black. So he got down at the bottom, and he just stood up and said, that's just how I go down the stairs. <laughs> <laughs> just walked off. <laughs> well, you know what? That's what you ought to say. When I fall, I shall arise. Right. I know it didn't look so good, but hey, that's just how I do it. <laughs> Don't let the devil know that he's won. Because in, in reality, he has never won. He's already defeated. Right. So how could he win if he's already defeated? That's right. Amen? Amen. Hallelujah.